Hello and welcome again to another edition of our encounter study. Um, I am on the road, so I'm not in in one of my familiar spots behind me. Uh, I came to Knoxville to uh, see a friend and, and I'm going to be part of one of the pastor's retreats at the Whitestone Inn. So if you're a pastor and you haven't taken advantage of that, there's a couple more to go. You can get on the Pastoral Development Ministry team website and check those out. Um, but on my way uh, from from where I was to where I'm going, I stopped in at the Beaver Creek Cumberland Presbyterian Church and checked in with uh, Brother Bill Moore and his class at the Beaver Creek Church, uh, and they were using the encounter, and it was uh, nice to be there. I enjoyed getting to see uh, all those who were using the encounter and was welcomed uh, very, very well, and so thank you for that. Um, Today, we are going to talk about Genesis chapter 27 and 28, and it's uh, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, and all the dysfunction that goes along with that. It's going to be the lesson for September 26, 2021, uh, and so before we get into that, I wanted to remind everybody we're not having the day in the park, so make sure you drop that off your calendar. Symposium is still on, so take avail yourself of that advantage. Um, see if there's anything else I need to need to talk about. I don't think there is off the top of my head. Uh, those two are uh, too important. So no day in the park, remember symposium. And uh, so anyway, let's go ahead and head into this. It's again, Genesis chapter 27, 28. And it's really a lesson about Jacob and how he manipulated his way uh, into uh, becoming, uh, you know, Israel, if you will. But anywho, our prayer for illumination today. Lord, there are many times we have been reluctant to trust your plans and promises in our lives, like Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau. We look out for our own desires. Through our study today, lead us into a deeper trust in you and your plans for us. Amen. And again, uh, it, human nature, we talked about it a little bit last week with uh, Hagar and um, Abraham and Sarah, and this week it continues on. It runs in the family. It's in our genes as human beings, the way we try to manipulate things to our advantage. Our memory verse comes from Genesis chapter 18, verse 15. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. Of course, that is God talking to Jacob, reiterating the promises, the first promise that he made to Abraham, but then continues on through Isaac um, or Jacob as the promised seed. So that's where we're going to start. Uh, so far as our introduction today, uh, we start with a, a big question. Uh, but first, I'll give you a, just a little little background. Again, beginning around Genesis 16 or Genesis 12, you have this um, call of Abraham to leave his household, his father's household, and go to a land that will be shown. And really, from that time on, uh, Genesis is actually there's just this reoccurring theme of of power grabs and blessing grabs, if you will, or self-serving acts that try to push God's promises to the recipients a little before they're supposed to happen. Of course, you, we talked about Abraham and Sarah and the birth of, of their children. We've talked about how maybe Abraham, we haven't talked about it before, but Abraham pretending to be Sarah's brother to get out of, you know, being threatened by the Egyptians. Uh, Isaac and Esau, it's going to be the same thing, right? How Isaac is going to try to manipulate his way to the top instead of just trusting 
Uh, you see it later on in the wives of the other uh, offspring of Abraham. You, you see uh, the brothers pitting against Joseph. You know, it just goes on and on and on in, in Genesis. It's, it's a theme, man. Uh, in Isaac or in Jacob, you see like after he's manipulated Esau, he runs off to his uncle's house and then his uncle manipulates him. It's just a, it's just this one cycle of manipulation and power grabs and, and we wonder where we get it from. That's where we get it from. But today we're going to focus on uh, Isaac's children, Jacob and Esau. And they're uh, working out of God's promise that the older, or yeah, the, the older will serve the younger. Um, you could rename this part of the book, How to Steal a Blessing, really, if you want to. I'm going to read 1 through 4 and then 15 through 23. All right. It says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called his elder son Esau and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, see, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, go out to the field and hunt game for me. Then prepare for me a savory food such as I like and bring it to me so that I may bless you before I die. And then we have kind of an, well, then I'll read 15 through 23. Then Rebekah took the best garments of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. And she put the skins of the kids, which is a goat or whatever, on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed the savory food and the bread that she had prepared to her son Jacob. So when Jacob went to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Now sit up and eat of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near that I may fill you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went up to his father Isaac, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. All right. So there's a lot in there that makes you feel dirty. First of all, you know, Jacob and his mom's playing this trick and, and Isaac's blind says, how, how did this happen? And Jacob's like, oh, it's because God blessed me. And it's one thing to lie. It's one thing to bring the Lord into your own lives. Right. Anyway. Um, Anyway, the discussion question then that we're, we open with is, when was a time someone committed a transgression against you? How did the other person's violation of your trust harm your relationship with them? How did the situation resolve? Is it ongoing or have you been able to address the problem and move on to forgiveness? How Have you transgressed a friend or a loved one? Why do you think you did what you did? All right, so there's a lot of questions there. Um. Uh, if you've been a parent, your kids have done something stupid and you feel like it's a it's a threat against you. And it's probably not as much as it is them trying to get their own way. Um, and sometimes when it comes to these uh, relationships that we have, we we are self-centered ourselves. And so when somebody does something wrong, a lot of times we take offense when that person wasn't trying to offend us to begin with. They were just trying to further their own cause and development. At least that's how it happens with children. And it's probably what I've done this with my parents. It's I want to do something. So I manipulate my way into doing it and they feel hurt and you get that. I'm not mad at you, son. I'm disappointed in you. Right. And that's how it harms the relationship. Once, you know, it's a relationship between 
uh, spouses. If, if one spouse cheats on another in some way, shape or form, there's um, this trust where there once was solid trust and, and it's hard to move on from that. And it's hard not to second guess when the situation comes up and, and there's always something in the back of your mind where you're like, well, what, what is my spouse doing today? Are they doing what they're supposed to do? And so on and so forth. But very rarely in our relationships with one another, do we just wake up one morning and say, I really want to hurt my friend, my family member, my spouse. Usually it's just our selfishness that comes in and says, I want what I want and I want to do what I want to do. Don't mean to harm somebody. It just that's the offshoot of it. Um, so anyway, uh, Derek also gives the suggestion to use the uh, Bible Project video. Again, if you have the opportunity to do that, please do that. Uh, but anyway, the uh, last thing I'll say about the uh, introduction question or the introduction part uh, in the book of James, you can find it where James talks about how it's pride and greed with, within ourselves that lead to disruptions in, in the fellowship of the church. And, and so that happens. Now, that moves us on to the exploring the scripture setting. Um All right, let's go. So the the setting is, of course, that God has said that to Rebecca and Isaac that there would be two nations within her room, right? So God speaks to Rebecca saying, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger, right? So that's the setup. Uh, so when it's born, Esau is technically supposed to be the one that receives the inheritance because he's the firstborn, and that was the customs of the day. But Jacob was a little heel grabber, as they say, and, and they've been struggling with one another since birth. Um, but part of this, then, is also the backdrop of Abraham, right? So God's promise to Abraham is that Abraham's descendants would be like that of the seashore. And it's worked itself out a lot of times with Ishmael. He had descendants that would become great nations. Now through the grandchild, he would have descendants that would be great nations. But also there's this line of the promised people or the chosen people, if you will. So there's the background of that. Um, but it it's this beginning of a constant theme where the unexpected is what God does. Like it was unexpected that Abraham and Sarah would have a child in their old age. So they try to manipulate the situation and Abraham sleeps with Hagar. And of course you have that child, but that's not the child that God had promised. Instead, it was um, Isaac. So in these next stories, it's, it's the way in which the younger rules over the older or the story of Joseph that, you know, all the brothers bow to him and the way Joseph has to, suffer to become the second command of Egypt and all these things. This is the beginning of how God is starting to form and shape our mind and looking toward the coming Messiah, that God does the unexpected. And so when the Messiah came, when everybody was looking for this conquering warrior king, we should have been trained before knowing that God uses the, you know, the foolish things of the world or the weak things of the world to shame the powerful and the wise and so on and so forth. So even at the very beginning, we're training ourselves to look through things, look at things through God's eyes, not our worldly, what is expected eyes. The world would say that it's the oldest that gets the inheritance, or it's the strongest that gets to rule, or it's the wisest that gets to put in the most information. But instead, God always does this little upside-down world. 
to where God just works out something completely different. Strength in the promise of God, not in the strength of humanity, is really what we're learning right now. It's strength in the power of God or the promises of God over and above the customs and values of the world. So in other words, it finds its fulfillment in a suffering servant or a Messiah compared reverse to a conquering king. Um, I think the other thing that this does is that um, I think if we really look at it, it expands our understanding of what faith is. So in this setting, you have God giving a promise that the younger will serve the older. The younger will be blessed or is chosen, and the older then is the one that will be the servant, right? And so then how do we act, right? So, or the promise between Abraham and Sarah and, and the promised child. Faith isn't just, it is not just the belief of Jesus Christ, belief in Jesus Christ, that through his death, burial, life, death, burial, and resurrection, uh, that we're saved. That's one aspect of faith, that there is an atonement or there is some kind of theory in which God is setting the world right or reconciling the world to himself. But faith is also a daily thing that we do. It's how we choose to live our life. It's the way in which we live our life. So by faith, um, Abraham and Sarah had Isaac in their old age. It was not faith that they tried to manipulate it through uh, having uh, Hagar sleep with Abraham. In this setting, God had promised something to uh, Jacob. And then when the time came to act in faith, they instead tried to manipulate and make the promises theirs by force, if you will. And it wasn't just Jacob. It was Jacob's mom, Rebecca, too, right? They, they both tried to manipulate the situation. That's a lack of faith. So there's times in our lives to where, yes, we can think of faith as this belief in, the, in, in Jesus as the atonement or the sacrifice or the one who reconciles, however you want to define that. But at the same time, every day we live to say, because of my faith, how will I act? How will I put one for, foot in front of the other? I mean, there's there's certain ways that you live by faith, not by sight. And so that's a good discussion you can have with your Sunday school class. Uh, would you describe what Jacob and Rebecca did to Isaac as an act of faith? Why or why not? Um, so anyway, that's a good class. What does it mean to live by faith? I think we have a a view of, of what it what it does not mean, but we'll get into that later. Uh, so the reflection question for that section is, did you ever manipulate situations in your family to make sure you came out on top? How did your family address fighting and jealousy between members of the family? Of course I did. I was, I had two, a brother and a sister. Of course, we were always jockeying for position. It's um, cleaning up certain things or maybe accidentally saying something that you heard at school about your siblings in front of your parents when you wanted something or they didn't. Right. But this goes on past when your child and childhood, I mean, there's jockeying for, I hate this, but like families fight basically to try to be in somebody's will or not in somebody's will. They'll do things not because they're kind, but because they think it'll pay off in the end or so on. This happens in jobs all the time. When you have coworkers who are trying to get promoted or whatnot, one might just dump everything on the other, or blame somebody or start gossip in the office. It's a terrible thing that it happens. But this is our human nature. We try to manipulate our way to the top uh, because we don't also we also it, again, it's a lack of faith that if we do our job, then God will protect us and God will 
carry out his promises toward us when we're faithful to God's, uh, you know, God's calling. Anyway, digging deeper, comparing scripture with scripture. Um, so carried over from that last discussion question. Uh, earlier in Genesis, Jacob begins his life with the begins begins this part of his life with deception. Uh, so, like, um, this story is kind of the culmination of one that happened before, which Derek brings up. It's from Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 through 34. I'll read it here. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff, for I'm famished. Therefore, he was called Edom. Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Esau said, well, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? So Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Um, so does the end justify the means, right? Jacob probably knew of this promise, that he was going to inherit the, the birthright, of, or that the older would serve the younger. His mom certainly did. So do you think J Jacob was doing necessarily wrong here? He was just ensuring uh, the way it was supposed to be from birth, right? How do you imagine instead, then think about it this way, how, how would God have maybe done it? This is something to ask your Sunday school class. If it wasn't through the evil of Jacob taking advantage of his brother to get the birthright, how do you think God might have done it? What's the alternative? If Jacob was faithful and showed mercy and fed his brother, how do you think it would have turned out? Maybe if Jacob lived such a righteous life, his brother would say this this one is obviously a leader chosen by God. This belongs to him. But, but Jacob didn't give it that chance. Instead, Jacob went ahead and took that sucker as quick as he could. I also think this is a lesson about our temporal needs. Um, if you think about what we give up just to be satisfied as quickly as possible, uh, it, it shows something about our own life. I mean, like, I've always thought of Jesus in the wilderness and that 40 days of not eating bread. And then Satan says, hey, turn those stones into bread. I'd be like, where's the butter? Right. Because we see our physical and temporal needs as more important than our eternal needs. And what Christ tries to do, especially like in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things shall be added unto you. We have a different understanding of of things. Uh, we're just like Esau. Well, what good is spiritual things if I die physically? And so we we go on. And some of the other scripture sections that I think about during this text is like from Malachi uh, verses chapter one, verses two and three. And then it's picked up in Romans chapter nine, 10 through 13. You hear those words, Esau I love, or Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Um, that reads hard, but basically what it means is I chose Jacob. I didn't choose Esau. Um, and so uh, Paul uses that in that Romans 9 when he's arguing with the Jews about uh, places in the kingdom of God. And that sounds awful. But so, again, think about the promise to Abraham that Abraham would be blessed with many children. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. Um, it is not as though Ishmael or... Um, Esau were cast away and no longer in the presence of God. It's simply that they weren't the one with the chosen role of bringing about God's promised Messiah. That's really important in our church today when we think about roles or when we think about, uh, you know, privileges, if you will. 
in the church, there is no higher authority. Like a preacher is not above the Sunday school teacher. An elder isn't above the janitor, if you will. It's simply that we all have our roles. There is a role in which gets some honor sometimes, sometimes justly or unjustly as a pastor. But that pastor is no more important than, than any other part of the body. But it is a separate role. And so I think maybe when we read through the Old Testament, we think of these roles. The, the purpose of God was that all people would be blessed, not just the chosen Israelites. He used the Israelites to bring about the promised Messiah that would bring the whole world into fellowship with God and, and, and God and one another. But it wasn't that uh, necessarily that uh, Jacob was more special or more important than his brother. It's just that God had chosen that brother to bring about the Messiah. So again, the plan was to bring light to all the nations. All would be brought to the knowledge and fellowship of God. Um, so after then Jacob does all these tricks, he begins to run in fear because his brother Esau is very, very angry. And so on his way, running away from his brother, he has this dream in which God reaffirms the promises. And in this dream, he sees a ladder from heaven. We call it Jacob's ladder. Angels are descending and ascending. And Jacob wakes up and says, oh, surely this is the presence of God. So in some sense, God was revealing to Jacob, though he was a terrible human being, God would not stop blessing him. And there was always a way to access God. But the same thing is, is done to Esau. Esau messed up too, but there's still blessings that God has for Esau. God, God is not left and, and hated, quote unquote, Esau either. So anyway, I think this uh, manifestation of the ladder is important because after that, Jacob gets to his uncle's house and he falls in love and then he gets manipulated. His uncle manipulates him. Uh, Jacob wants to marry uh, Rachel, um, but he works on a deal, says, hey, for seven years, you give me your daughter, Rachel. We're good. Well, seven years comes up on a wedding night. Lo and behold, Leah, Leah Lay is given to Jacob instead of Rachel. And then he said, what's up? I've worked for seven years. This wasn't the deal. And uh, Jacob's uncle was like, hey, in this in this community, our standard is the older daughter goes first, then the younger daughter. So you got to work seven more years. And Jacob did it. But he got a little taste of his own medicine and he learned to work for it. Um, and God uses that to bring about, you know, the really the redemption, if you will, of Jacob. Um, then at the end, Jacob goes and he's um, coming back home uh, and he's scared. So he starts sending gifts to his brother. Like, hey, I'm good. But before he gets there, he has another vision, which he sees, he wrestles, you know, with the angel of the Lord. And during this night of wrestling, uh, his hip is pushed down a socket and it never goes back in socket. Anytime he tries to stand straight up, the hip would, the hip would go out. And it's a reminder to Jacob that uh, he's always in need of God. He can't manipulate himself into the right positions. He can't power himself into the right position. But instead, he had to always rely totally upon God. And in that wrestling match, his name is changed to, to Israel, or as one who, who uh, wrestles with God. So the discussion question is, in the Digging Deeper section, how many times in our lives have we traded something of permanent blessing for a more temporal need? Um, so there's this thing called the marshmallow test. You can look it up. 
uh, kids who uh, like basically you put a marshmallow on a table and a kid can either have that one or wait later to get two marshmallows. Uh, the kids who are able to say no to the first marshmallow and instead get two show in their lives that they're oftentimes uh, better situated to um, to sacrifice to get more in their own life. And the children who are satisfied with just the one uh, oftentimes go straight to what's in front of them and they don't reach on toward something that takes a little more work or a little more sacrifice. So I think that's a lesson that we learned uh, today as well in this uh, in this lesson that uh, we don't have to take right in front of us. We can wait for the blessing of God and see how that works out in our lives. And then that leads us to the learning from the scripture uh, section. Uh, there's two things, two revelations then we kind of talked about with Jacob. First, you had the ladder, right? Jesus then, as the church, we proclaim that Jesus is that ladder and Jesus interprets himself as that ladder. Um, even at our best, we're a little bit of Jacob, if you will. We all manipulate situations. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all need this bridge. We all need this ladder. And Jesus Christ then has become that ladder. He is the bridge by which God and humanity are, um, you know, are, are in fellowship. He's the ladder in which God brings, uh, which, which he brings God to us and us to God. Uh, maybe going a little bit deeper then, that is our role as the church. The church is the body of Christ. We become that bridge in which brings God down to people who are in pain and hurt and need. And then we also bring them to God for healing. And so as the church, we are, in a sense, Jacob's ladder. We are the thin place by which you can you can fellowship and be with God and God's family and get a little foretaste of what's coming. The second thing is, is that we're also wrestlers of God. All right. So that's not brought up specifically in our text. But um, with Jacob wrestling with God. Uh, and then Jacob receives that thorn in the flesh, as you as you might say, like Paul had this thorn in the flesh, these things which kept them from being maybe proud, always reminded them that their strength came from, from God, not from our own work, not from our own strength, but we always had to, we always have to rely upon God. Uh, Paul says this in Corinthians when he says, you know, he makes this list of liars and cheaters and terrible people. And then Paul says, and such for some of you, uh, but but by the grace of God, we're different now. I think this reminds us to take that serious, that we can't walk straight or walk well on our own. We can't work in, the, in our own power. But as the church, we proclaim Christ crucified, you know, foolishness to the Greeks, stumbling block to the Jews. But it's all we got. And then finally, the applying the scripture section. Um, these aren't morality tales. So if we're, we'll talk about this in one of our, um, one of our questions, but be careful not to say, you know, instead of this, you should do this. What we're supposed to see is that God in Christ has saved us, that God in Christ works through us. The gospel is that God has overcome the world and overcomes our own selves. We can always have hope. We can always repent. We can always be what God has called us to be because God is never silent. God is never away from us, but God is always welcoming God is always calling sinners to repentance. God is always giving us Holy Spirit that we might become everything that God has called us to be. So I'll end just by asking some of these questions and, and going over them and giving you a time to think about examples of your own so you can ask your class. First, we have all been blessed beyond what we deserve. Over this next week, how can you pass that blessing on to someone who doesn't deserve it? 
here's what you can do. Practice forgiveness. It's the church. It's the place of forgiveness. This is, we live in a world that refuses to forgive. When somebody makes a mistake, that's it for you. You're blackballed. You're kicked off of teams. You canceled from Facebook, whatever it may be. But in the church, we can practice forgiveness. That's how that you can practice blessing to someone who doesn't deserve it because God in Christ forgave us and we surely didn't deserve it. Um, let our church be a place of reconciliation where those who didn't, who have done wrong, but can't find forgiveness in the world, they can come to the church and find forgiveness and the Holy spirit can heal their heart and turn them from darkness to light. Everybody's involved. We are a place of reconciliation. I think that's how we practice uh, blessing those who don't deserve it. It's the very definition of it, actually. Um, the second question, uh, Jacob, the exclamation that God is in this place, and I didn't even know it, reminds us of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who talked and walked with Jesus but didn't recognize him. What things do you do to remind yourself each day to stay alert to the presence of Christ in your own life? I think I've talked about this in a previous podcast, but one thing I do is practice the prayer of examine at night. And basically it's a time to reflect on the day. Part of the day is where, where did you feel closest to God? Where did you feel, feel farthest away from God? But I think that's how I do that is the prayer of examination or prayer of examine. It's just, I basically stop and I ask myself, where was God today? Where did I feel closest to God today? And then also in the morning, I try to, when I remember most of the time I do, is to simply recite some blessings. I'm waking up next to a beautiful woman when I'm at home, only when I'm at home, <laughs> or I'm at a friend's house, and I give thanks to God for the relationship that we've had and, and for the many blessings of being able to see his children or, or so on and so forth. I mean, it's you count your many blessings, name them one by one. That's how I do that. Uh, number three, relationships, relationships are crucial to human life. Are you still hurt by a relationship that was ruined by a transgression? What has that hurt taught you about God's presence in your life? Um, I think, honestly, that this is something you can talk with your Sunday school class about forgiveness. Going back to that first question, when you hold a grudge, it's killing you, your spirit. In fact, it has to form and shape what God, what you think about God. Because if you can't forgive somebody for a hurt in your life, why would God how can you understand God forgiving you, but you not forgiving someone else? It's, it's like, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. You know, judge not lest you be judged for in the same manner that you judge, it will be judged to you. Uh, like it's very difficult to have a good spiritual life if you're hanging on to hurts and not forgiving people. And then the flip side of that is true. Like, I don't think you'll feel God more real in your life when you do forgive somebody that doesn't deserve it. You let it go. And, and with the grace and love of God, forgive that person. And they might not even want you to forgive them, but in your heart and mind, as so long as it depends on you, as Paul says, live at peace with one another. And then number four, um, Derek brings up, I guess it's probably one of his professors in Bible or in, in decent divinity school. It says individuals we see in the Bible are not models for morality, but mirrors for identity. How is the statement true of Jacob? When you look into the mirror, into a mirror that is the person Jacob. What do you see? What will you do in response? Again, we got to be careful. This isn't morality tales. This isn't Aesop's fables. Um, Jacob was awful, right? So when you look at Jacob and you see the awfulness of Jacob in you, I'm a, a manipulator. Like, I don't want to be looked on as bad. I don't want to be looked on as wrong. When I was younger, especially, 
Um, I would make sure other people thought it was somebody else's fault, not mine. Um, uh, I've hopefully gotten rid of some of that. I mean, I've learned how to say I'm sorry. I think I've learned how to repent a little bit and to take responsibility for my actions. And then I've also, I think, maybe learned to wait on God and God's blessing a little bit more than I have before. But surely I am Jacob. And uh, the way Jacob grew was to wrestle with God and and then also to be reminded of his weakness. And I think a little bit of humility for me, um, knowing that I, I can't do everything and and that attitude certainly isn't bad. But I would ask your Sunday school class who in the, who in the Bible are they they are reminded of when they think about their life, and then how do you respond? I mean, it's to hold on to the for me, it's to hold on to the grace of God and repent of my pride. Uh, but it, it could be different for other people. So, all right, for this week, I'm done because I'm going to spend some time with my friends. But God bless you and uh, carry on. <laughs>